Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Recording is on. Hello, everyone. I'm John Coleman from Apocalypse Stacey's and Institute for the Humanities, an alternative college and high school here on New Milford, Connecticut. And I'm being joined for this 118th episode of a conversation with Caleb the Mechanic. How's it going, Caleb? Doing very well. How about yourself? Uh, harried, much like yourself, with technology and, and with uh, all sorts of other things in, in um, the big picture and the small picture. But uh, happy to be with yourself here. Yeah, it's been <laughs> it's been just as crazy on my side too. Seems like all technology was just like we're not working this weekend. <laughs> and uh, as the viewers might might guess, I'm I'm shooting from a different angle than normal, and so uh, that's just a, a, an evidence of of what's happening. So when I'm I'm looking in this direction at Caleb, and then I'll try to keep my eyes on this one. I'm speaking to Caleb. It's it's a juggling act, but we'll make it work because. It's worth it to make it work. We're continuing in this episode our discussion of the first Vatican Council and how that has actually led, in my opinion, to the meltdown of that church in the past, um, we'll say, half century. And we're going to talk about, especially this um, time together, about uh, admiralty law and about what that requires. And and um, I would encourage all the viewers to check out the talk that Caleb and I had a few weeks back. I will link that down below here on BitChute and Odyssey and <clears throat> even YouTube, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, do your due diligence as an audience, and, and we've done ours, so uh, it does require following our train of thought. So we talked about um, really this this uh, dissociation in the West. Kale and I were just kind of getting to know each other last um, last recording, and we were kind of uh, hashing out how we looked at things, how we looked at history, and and so forth. And Caleb, for a uh, I would say an elevator pitch, like how would you summarize your um, your presentation last episode about the development of the West and um, so forth? The the principal thing I think when it comes to understanding how how I look at stuff is from a warfighter's perspective, 
and from a mechanics perspective. So from the mechanics perspective, things have to actually they have to match form, fit and function. And then from a warfighter's perspective, um, it has to foment the accomplishment of whatever your mission is. And so both of them are very grounded, pragmatic. If it doesn't work, I'm not going to use it sort of sort of uh, perspectives. The um, however, one requires very meticulous detail focus, the tiny details matter. And the other one is broad spectrum, the whole picture matters. And if you're not getting the right information, then you're not then you're not going to make the right decisions. <clears throat> what a fine elevator speech that was. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Uh, good. And just so the audience knows and to, and to refresh uh, myself as, as soon as anyone else, my um, where, where we're going with this is actually the subject of something I'm writing on for the Postal Magazine, uh, Dr. Nirmal Das's uh, piece up in Canada, his website. And people uh, familiar with the Pakistastasis will know uh, dear Dr. Das. And I'm, I'm very appreciative to Kayla for hearing me out and, and for maybe... Um, maybe finding in our time together, um, you know, chinks, uh, so to speak, in, in, in the logic and so forth. And Caleb was interested in the subject. So here we are. And where I'm going with this is that um, almost the entirety of, of conservative Catholic um, critique and, and reaction to um, what I have already called a, a crisis and more than a crisis, I, I use stronger language, even a meltdown. Um, Everything in your in your spectrum of of um, Catholicism, um, we'll say everything from your your fellow in the pew uh, who who's just internally privately griping about the altar girls, all the way the whole spectrum, all the way through your St. Peter's people and all these groups, and all the way to. Um, uh, you know, all these theories that people have about Vatican II and so forth. What I'm trying to, what I think I've identified is is a, a, a certain, um, a certain that, that Vatican I, and it's very strict and very legal, not to be confused with law, but it's very legal construction of the church, absolutely shuts down and, and did 150 years ago this whole, um, this whole methodology. And... That is not to say hardy har har to anyone at all. <laughs> um, I'm very, very sympathetic to that critique. Uh, as I'm wrestling with the camera here, uh, not being sympathetic to tech this week. Um, but, but rather, just like an alcoholic um, or, or any anyone with a problem uh, like that, if we don't really perceive the, if the foundational solution or what appears to be to so many of us a solution if that is not solid then then it, it, it's on a foundation of sand it's not a strong foundation um before i go on caleb anything you'd like to say about that again we're just kind of setting ourselves up for the preliminary um bits here so anything you'd like to say towards that it uh definitely seems to be in line um with one of the things that we were talking about last time about um about like Pope St. Pius X's oath against modernism and how it seemed to shift everything really, really heavily into, into, you know, the, uh, the direction that no matter, like from a fairly objective perspective is a rigid perspective. Um, and it, 
it definitely seem it definitely seems that there's uh, there's definitely something to that because I've since we talked about it, I started noticing it in the Catholic discourse a lot more, um, and particularly actually, and and not to pick on sedevacantists, but the particularly from their perspective, very very hard charging, hard hitting, and I I even noticed it actually. I've got a friend who's an Orthodox, uh, who's Eastern Orthodox, and it's very much even coming from him. And I noticed it coming out of my mouth too when we were when we were discussing our back and forth, and I was just like, "Hang on, there's something not quite, not quite settled." So, and actually, I, I I've had a few dribs and drabs uh, from different commenters and whatnot online, but um, one of the previous uh, interview guests, Caleb, is. Um, uh, Pope Michael. This is, I think we all know this in the set of a conscious world, a very delightful gentleman. Um, and he was actually the one who pointed out that his his position, and he, he uh, I was quite rather surprised, but he was absolutely insistent that set of a were not traditional Catholics. And he was, he was arguing um, that the set of a conscious position is the most honest position as eccentric as it might seem, in regards to Vatican One. Now, I'm not, I'm not taking that route myself, but um, that's how I kind of initially, maybe two, three years ago, began to try to work through some of this. Um, but just as a brief, a brief recap, um, and and actually more, an elaboration from last um, last time. We talked so much, Caleb and I. We use different words and different accents, so to speak. But um, the the rise of artificiality in the West, and we we had talked about um, this movement away from God, and secularism, and the rise of consumerism. And I mean, all of these topics are so massive, but. Um, one of one of which which we struck on and we'll we'll focus in on here is the rise of the nation state, the rise of the nation state, and that was the result in the 18th and 19th centuries of nearly uh, 600 years of uh, energy that was building up in Europe, going back uh, to the 13th and 14th centuries, when commerce, uh, once Europe calms down after all those Vikings and Muslims and Magars and things, once that calms down, people get back to what they were doing when Rome was around, which is buying and selling. And a, a new class, the merchant class, began to grow and grow and grow, and by the 18th century, begins to um, assert itself and and come into contact this this new class of merchants and attorneys and bankers and so forth it begins to to run into a great deal of frustration from the previous uh, order the the old order of altar and throne not the least of which was when uh, when when the church took the prohibitions on usury seriously this really was cramping their style and so you have your age of revolution you have a, a really a century. Um, what do we say? We'll say America, 1775 to uh, as something very appropriate to us. We'll say the the um, bombardment of the and, and collapse of the the papal states in 1870. So that's uh, oh nearly a century, isn't it? So you have this order rising, and what I want to focus in on because Kayla was very interested in admiralty law, which is undergirding a lot of my the points I'm trying to make. So um, before I, I talk about the nature, Caleb, of the nation state um, and an admiralty, anything you'd like to say? Um, right about now, 
the, the only thing I would point out is that there were some brushes with the merchant class um, as far back as the 12th or the 11th, or excuse me, 12th or 13th century, um, because that did actually uh, the dispute between the barons and King John of England um, back when, you know, England was a Catholic nation at the time that was actually at play as far back as, as then. But other than that, I mean, everything else seems to be pretty, pretty even keel. Okay, and so to make sense of what the nation state is, um, we have to uh, look really at at um, what, what seems to be a very innocent organization. I'm just making a parallel to really what we see en masse um, in the what, what what is a nation state? Well, it's it's that innocent. The modern legal nation state from the Enlightenment is simply nothing more and nothing less than the the innocent local chamber of commerce writ large all all liberal nation states are are effectively giant chambers of commerce um and that's uh, and you can see that in the way they organize themselves and if you if you dig down uh, with my, uh, i don't have my big old black slaw here but um uh, I at least can make the assertion, if you dig down into every legal definition, every definition is a commercial definition. Um, that that doesn't really affect us so much, Caleb, um, although it has some very interesting ramifications elsewhere. Um, but the point is that the, the nation state coming out of the Enlightenment is just a giant chamber of commerce. And it, it uses the, the old Roman strict law, going back to, to the Imperium and even before in the Roman Republic, and arguably way, way before then with the Rhotic laws. And this revived legal system, which had carried on within the, within the clerical uh, Catholic Church and in, in, in some other areas throughout the medieval period. It was never completely done away with. Um, but it, it comes back, just, the, 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 you know, where, where it was robust in the Roman Empire, this legal system, which I'll lay out here, um, had largely declined, except within within the the clerics in the West, um, and they had been replaced by other types of law in the West: the Salic law from the Germans and the common law, which we might be a bit more familiar with, and and then some other traditions. Um, obviously, in the in the in the Middle East, you had the, the the rise of Sharia and things like that. So there are there are various systems, but what I'm saying is that the Enlightenment, you have the the revival of of uh, largely a moribund, a, a nearly dead legal system. So, um, what we need to get back to is this idea of what is a a a um, a body a body corporate. Right. So this is what we see in with the with the nation states and where we're going with our time together, dear viewers and dear Caleb, is is uh, to point out that the Catholic Church in the 19th century begins to start speaking of itself in in much the same language as the as the surrounding as the or as the new order is, although there were, as we'll find out, uh, great, great tensions um, with those with those nation states. Anything you'd like to say, Caleb? Uh, actually, as you were laying the groundwork, the um, it, it it started the the maps as you know, like you learn in history, and you've got your you know your sort of loose loosey goosey sort of broad strokes. Like it doesn't have like the clearly defined anything. Um, it's like oh, this part's you know Prussia, and this part over here is France, and and kind of 
you know, it, very sort of amorphous, sort of amoeba-like um, entities. And then as as commerce becomes more and more important, and the kings, in particular, it's because it is mostly up until um, up until the Protestant Revolution, it is actually mostly the kings who are insisting on you know tariffs and these and those sort of borderlands um, that begin to sort of define what used to be defined by ethnicity and by your bloodline is now actually more or less defined by your location for the sake of commerce. Um, and that, that was actually what was coalescing in my mind while you were talking about that. I was seeing the map suddenly get hardened borders because, you know, it, now the Nate, what used to be nation natio based on bloodline and birth is now actually giving it, giving way to commerce where, you know, you've got to have your duties and your imposts and all of these things that are necessary for government. Um, and that's kind of, and then as you kind of shifted over to the Vatican, we get to the Vatican with the papal states and then um, later, obviously much later to the city state. But as you, as all of that begins, it, it, you'd see um, the Vatican as it starts to assert more of its actual physical borders and physical domain, that shift in mentality, because now, because now the Supreme Pontiff is also the head of this, this uh, state, as opposed to, as opposed to the, vicar of christ and the and the sovereign over everything catholic and i know i was a little bit loose with that one i know that one's actually going to tickle some people be like the sovereign over everything catholic i got it i'm a mechanic i'm not a i'm you know i'm not a theologian <laughs> oh, funny. Uh, is that a golden microphone that you have by the way it is uh picked i actually picked it up uh from rockville audio how cool is that that's probably old yeah. Rush Limbaugh's uh, old golden microphone there. <laughs> Lord of mercy on it. Was, it was actually when I found out I needed to get a microphone, I figured I'd do the homage. So, cool. <laughs> uh, he, he's been he's been gone a year now. He uh, you know, died died last March or something else. You don't see those ones too often. Anyhow, <laughs> um, so okay, so um, you used a great word, and, and anyone who wants to sharpen their legal game, uh, this is one of the real principles of, of the legal system, which, if I can do a plug here at Apocalypsis we do have a whole college course on principles of the legal system for any of the viewers here. A uh, full college semester on these, these uh, principles. You'll never read the newspaper the same way again. But uh, one of those principles is, um, here's the word, definition definition the legal system is the opposite it is the the polar opposite of abstraction abstraction um, between things in general it takes a horse and it makes it that mr ed uh, it takes the whole that horse which is existing in nature and it makes it a specific horse that is not like other horses. And in all of this, I should should be understood. I'm not saying uh, the legal system is good or bad, of which I have definite thoughts, but I'm trying to give a very unbiased and so a very, a very broad base and trying to be as accurate as I can to that system and as as um, precise to that, that uh, precise system. Um, so the word is definition. And so as Caleb indicated, you have the, the, um, the, uh, fine-tuning of what a nation is and and there's all sorts of interesting discussions that's the whole 19th century not just politically 
in every possible way, that is the the uh, the genius and the curse of the 19th century is this definition of breaking up um, all of life, which existed in, as we, we know, in this integrated whole. What the Enlightenment did, and it's obviously picking up steam by the 19th century, is that it takes all of lived life and it, it is obsessed with breaking it up into different boxes, different boxes um, of very, you know, of, of these specified uh, categories. Uh, and you can see that in, in other ways, too. Look at the, the, um, the, the, the fad or more than the fad, the pressure to categorize all nature with genus and species. Um, which became almost like a, a hobby for patrician Americans like Henry David Thoreau and, and Waldo Emerson, you know, fighting over how many stems and pistols, you know, a dandelion has and what category does it go into? Um, it's, it's really quite remarkable. And so, and, and that's the whole, that's the whole um, thrust, the whole, I mean, that uh, I mentioned Dr. Das, but uh, one of my colleagues, Caleb, we know the whole concept of a religion, religions, as we know them, that whole concept is a 19th century idea. Um, that, I mean, if you look at historic Islam or Hinduism or Christianity or, or, or rabbinic Judaism and, and so forth, all of those systems are vast. And um, they, they, they would never, before the Enlightenment, Catholicism would never say it's a religion in the way that we use it now, where it's, it's pigeonholed into, into a category. I don't know if I'm on camera here. Pigeonholed into a category. Um, and it, it only deals with the spiritual. And, you know, that's why, I don't know how your interests are with these things, but that's why when you try to talk to Catholics about the Catholic social teaching or Rero Navarum or something, most of them, they could care less. It's not even over their heads, but it's like talking about the, the NASCAR or something. They have no, why on earth would you be talking about this? I'm in a, I'm in a church. I want to pray. I'm part of a religion. I don't know why you're talking about all this stuff that happens outside the, the walls of the church. So even the concept of religions or natural science or getting back to things, a politics, we begin to start seeing things in very definite categories. Anything you'd like to say, Caleb? Yeah, I would say um, it's probably the biggest, uh, the biggest modern fallacy. Um, one of the things that I take time out to repeat regularly on my podcast is that politics is the expression of your religion the like your your our faith is an act of intellect and will our religion is predicated on how we fulfill the duties according to what we understand to be true according to our intellect and our will and our politics is the direct expression of our duties and so you cannot separate you know things going on in the world from social teaching from Catholic social teaching or from the moral teachings of the church, or like you cannot separate any of that because as soon as you try to parse those out and compartmentalize them, you actually cease living as a Catholic. Like you may still believe, but you're not living as a Catholic anymore. A Catholic, like to be Catholic is to be mind, body, soul committed to this particular way of life and expressing that way of life with your children, with your fam with your families, your extended family, and people you don't know. It is all 
bundled in. There is no separation between church and state. The church dictates, and I say the church in a different sense, dictates the state. It is, and the church, meaning the mystical parts or the mystical body parts, so each individual Catholic, every family, every household, every neighborhood, every community, they dictate the state. It's not, you know, from on high, the church dictates the state. It is literally the the living out of your faith dictates the nature of the state. So if there's a flaw in the state, there's obviously a flaw in the life of every Catholic. Okay, thank you, Caleb. Excellent points there. Um, all right, so the church uh, begins to start seeing itself as a nation state and a parallel. I'm going to get to the abstract requirements of a legal body politic, uh, body corporate. But before I do that, the phenomena that we see with the with the Catholic Church, especially around the time of Blessed Pius the Ninth and Leo the Thirteenth. Um, and really does continue up until the Second Vatican Council. Uh, but at that, we'll just stick with Pius, Blessed Pius and I. Um, what, he, what he does and that generation is actually very similar. <laughs> just as we were talking, this struck me. I didn't, I didn't plan to say it, but it's actually very similar to um, exactly what you see with Pope Francis um, hobnobbing with the likes of, of uh, Davos and, and Klaus Schwab. Uh, meaning the the Catholic Church uh, as an institution, just on a natural level, um, and, and a supernatural level, but but just keep on the natural, uh, has, has weathered a lot of historical storms and uh, has ebbed and flowed and uh, but has continued and and there's a certain appreciation of history. Um, that has, I think, contributed to that. And I would encourage, as I did last uh, class, or last class, <laughs> it's been a long day, last uh, episode uh, with Caleb here, um, I would encourage everyone who wants to try to make heads or tails of the Vatican policy uh, over over the last couple hundred years um, to read uh, a book by Arnold Toynbee. Actually, it's, it's a condensation of, of 11 books he wrote called The Study of History. You can get the condensation. Um, and you, I believe that the way he's looking at history is very much the way the Curia has come to view history, at least since the the the, um, the 20th, the mid 20th century formally, but I think it goes back farther. And and what Toynbee, who, who wrote that book actually for what we call the CFR group now, um, but uh, if if you read what Toynbee writes about basically his his uh, interest is you know what moves history why do different societies religious um, and and political and and ethnic why do they survive sometimes and then fail the next time why did Rome uh, defeat the Punic threat and then fall flat when it was threatened with wealth and wealth destroyed it and and he goes through this time and time again. I think he looks, Caleb, at 25 or 26 civilizations, and he, he looks at the possibilities of why certain communities puncture through and then why they inevitably die. And he, he was hired by all these, these kind of globalist creeps to figure out, you know, how could we get, uh, you know, Western post-World War II society not to fail? But, 
but the point is though um that the generation of, of blessed Pius the ninth and what we see now with pope francis i actually think that we see the same sort of thing where they're trying to where they've perceived what the next order will be uh in the 19th century it was the liberal secular nation state and you try to make yourself as intelligible to that system um without compromising yourself and then you i, I think that helps to explain you know the the affinity for for the vatican late in the past couple of decades with the globalists is they're trying to they're seeing a wave coming and they're trying to hit that wave on an angle and not be subsumed by it. And the way the nation state, regarding what I think is coming, the way the nation state is going to be subsumed right now with the new corporate model that's coming online with um, economic zones replacing um, political designations. Um, before I get into what, what legal body corporates require um, and then make that parallel to what we see in the church as I see it, um, anything you'd like to say, Caleb? I think they'd probably do better if they, if instead of trying to navigate the the bark of Peter as as though it was a ship going into a tidal wave, then you know navigate the bark of Peter the way you would navigate salt into water, and you just leaven the bread as it comes in. You know, to, to mix metaphors extraordinarily painfully, <laughs> yeah, um, like it, it's. You know, because um, I was actually contemplating earlier today, is it real? Does it really matter if there's a new, a quote unquote new world order with all of this other stuff if we're just living as Catholics? You know, I mean the the whole the whole reason why we keep pushing back on it is because we're we're afraid of what it's going to do to being a Catholic. When the reality is, if we just live as Catholics, um, whatever's going to happen is going to happen, and we will we will leaven the bread of whatever comes one way. I mean, you know, it, it's, you know, if it's, if we're not coming up on the end times, then we will leaven the bread. If we are coming up on the end times, then it doesn't matter anyway, because the end times are here. So it's like either way we win. If we just be Catholic, the, um, you know, they can do whatever they want and, you know, it's either going to work or not, and probably not. I mean, let's be real. They, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men, Afghan and Glaive. So it's not, you know, whatever goes on, it'll go on. And as long as we're Catholic all the way through. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Who cares? Yes, I, I'm, I'm of the same opinion. Um, less, less, less Arnold Toynbee in the study of history, and more uh, Saint Augustine and, and uh, City of God. Because <laughs> Augustine's <laughs> talking about the same questions. He's talking about the exact same stuff. Why do civilizations rise and fall? Um, but in in any case, uh, okay. So body bodies corporate as opposed to, we'll say, pre-modern, pre-enlightenment bodies. Now, in one way, actually, these bodies corporate, which become the dominant model of human organization after the enlightenment, they're, again, just a revival of the Roman uh, corporate system. And uh, there's some theory, as I alluded to before, there's some theory that the Romans were inspired by something called the Rhodic Laws, which were the, the commercial laws around the island of Rhodes. And that only comes from one one statue that's, that survives on the 12 tablets and all this. So that's somewhat, um, oh, that's somewhat uh, you know, speculative. But anyway, uh, the word, the, the watchword for this episode here is definition. So um, in a legal body, if you think about the Roman, the, you know, the, the, the Roman Senate, Rome, what happens is, and you see this in all Enlightenment governments, and I'll give you examples momentarily, but basically men come together for an end, and they form, a, a, um, they form an invisible mental entity uh, called a corporation. So the patricians of Rome, the old blue bloods of Rome, after, after they kicked out uh, Tarquin and, and all this, the old blue bloods of Rome come together, right? We all know this with Brutus and he's holding the swords and they make the oath of um, uh, on Lavinia's body and all this. And they'll never have a king again. And that's the foundation of the Roman Senate. It's an invisible thing. Um, if you want to be uh, less objective, it's a make-believe thing. But uh, it has a genius to it. Uh, it has a curse to it. The curse of legalism is it is... It is fiction. It is it is uh, made up out of whole cloth. It's not real. Um, and there are profound philosophical uh, conclusions to that. Given how much of our, our mental attention is given to things legal, uh, it can be quite crushing to realize they're all make believe. But um, that's that's on a philosophical note. Um, but the the genius of the legal system for all of its artifice and fiction artifice and fiction is that there is never in all of human history there has never been a system of human organization that is as 
potent of, of marshalling and laser beaming human activity on this earth than the legal corporation. And if you don't believe me, look at how the Roman legions were able to triumph over their enemies compared to the, the natural communities, the artificial Roman state was able to just bulldoze over all of the tribes because of that precision organization of, of the mankind that they had at their, their fingertips. Um, and even if they were overwhelmed by a Spartacus or a Hannibal or a Vercingetorix from time to time, they would just grind away. They could just grind away because they had that 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 planning they knew okay we lost five legions this year but we have you know a hundred thousand young guys that are coming up in the next 10 years we know we can just grind them down um and um so so getting back to the well i could go on with that but look just using the roman senate as an example and then i'll transition to the enlightenment um the the patricians the the people and they come together and they form a body corporate with its blessings and its curses. Okay. That body corporate, in, the, in this example, the Senate, is going to operate on a principle, and that's going to be vital to understanding where I'm going with Vatican I and in later things, that the creator controls. This is one of the principles of the legal system the creator controls it, it underlies all copyright law it underlies um uh, every the entire legal system if anyone is giving a status they are the master of the status um and so when um you you get conscripted as a as a spanish uh spaniard uh Celt, or so you're, you're a celt iberian caleb um, and and you, you you get uh, Shanghai into the Roman Legion, and you get you get SPQR tattooed on you, Senatus Papurusque Romanum Romani, right? The Senate and the people of Rome. You, we must understand that we're speaking of a very specific body of people, right? So SPQR, we would say that's their corporate name uh, nowadays. Right. So, and everything legal. What's the D word? You got to take this away from from us. You got to speak for the viewers here, Caleb. What's the D word that we associate with the legal system? Definition. Definition. So when they're speaking of Rome, the Senate and the people of Rome, as you're getting inked up there to go fight up in, uh, you know, up in Gaul, up in Britain or whatever, and go fight those those uh, Picts, those Scottish guys. Right. You're getting inked up there and you're wondering, you know, what is the the R stand for? What do we mean Rome? Well, Rome means specifically the Senate. It doesn't mean every every uh, Tom, Dick, or Harry uh, that happens to be within the boundaries of Rome. It doesn't mean the dirt of Rome. It means what those guys going back to um, the, the oath of Horatzi who formed the Senate, it means what they say it means, which is their Senate. That is Rome. Rome is only the Senate. And I, I don't mean the Senate building or the men. The, the, it's, it's, a, it's a mental construct. But it refers to Rome specifically is not what I think it is or what you think it is, um, but it matters what the, the senators are mean it is. So um, in this example, um, so Rome is a specific thing. 
Um, the Senate is the Senate holders, and then the people is referring to the patricians. Now, I'm not going to go on to a whole thing about the Roman uh, thing here. I think I made my point that Rome is a specific thing. The Senate refers to specific senators who are holding an office. Um, and then the people, I'm sorry, uh, Caleb, as you're putting on your, your you know, your, your metal, metal uh, chest uh, piece and your mohawk hat and all this and you're oiling up that sword, right? I'm afraid that the people that you just got tattooed with um, were, um, is not you. It's not you and the guys in the Legion. It's not the merchant uh, on, on the bark, whatever. It's not the, the pirates who are sailing around the Mediterranean um, in, in Roman waters. The people refers to the patricians of Rome. The patricians um, who are the, the bloodlines of the senators. And those are the senators' families and they're married uh, amongst each other. And those are the people. Are you following my line of... of it managed to click very, very loudly with uh, uh, corporis mystici Christi in the same way, the um, <clears throat> you know the, the the mystical body of the mystical body of Christ, the um, where the difference being where the Senate and the people are basically subsumed by the by the noble families who basically comprise the Senate and all, and the principal governmental institutions, we are subsumed specifically by Christ. Um, and requires some putting down of the more material aspects of it, but in the exact same sort of, um, we're going to go with made up way. I'm going to put that in quotation marks because obviously when you're made up by the logos, it's very real. Um, but the, in that, in that exact same sort of abstract manner, the, the Christian nation is basically that like, that which makes up the Christian nation is basically all of the followers of Christ. The the Senate and the people of Rome uh, is what constitutes the basically the Republic and the Empire uh, that it, that extends from it. So it, it's very much it's very much the same thing. Um, I don't know if I managed to plug in the the mystical body of Christ the same way, but since we're talking about corporate bodies. You can't, you, there's only so many times you're going to say the word corporate before my brain goes corporate, uh, corporate mystici Christi. So. <laughs> yes. And actually this is a, a this may be a show on the, that that's uh, begging to be done. Um, but actually, if you look at the, just on, on the margins here, before I get, get back on track, if you look at the, the martyrdoms within the Roman empire, very often it had to do with Christians who understood exactly this, this um, parallelism between the real, the real Senate, or so to speak, the real role of the, of, the, of the real empire, so to speak, of the church, and realizing it and not contracting into the Roman Senate. Very often it had to do with them not accepting the statuses of the make-believe Roman Empire. And, and, and you can read, read um, if you pay attention to the martyrology, you'll notice this. Um, there's a few, especially a few sayings that you can tell where they where you know, they would be in the courtroom, for instance, and the, the judge would be demanding, you know, what is your Roman name? What is your civic name with your cognomen? What are you doing here? Right. And the Christian will, would only use his baptized name. He would refuse to use it because of that, that identification of, of the real empire, so to speak, from, from the Roman one. But that's a whole other discussion. Um, but people before yourself have noticed that, that parallelism. 
Okay. Um, so, so Rome uh, in, in the old time is, is exactly what the Senate says it is. In fact, if the Senate decides to move Rome up to Milan, up to uh, out to Ravenna, if, if the, the Senate, in fact, if the Senate agrees to identify with a single senator, they can do that. In fact, they do. That's called the Roman Emperor. The Roman Emperor was basically the incarnation of the Roman Senate. Um, and if that, um, if that uh, individual now wants to move the Roman Empire to Constantinople, guess what? Constantinople now becomes the new Rome because Rome is exactly what the office holders say it is. But wait, I thought Rome was a city in Italy. Nope. Rome is whatever the Senate and the people of Rome say it is. Doesn't bode well for the church right now. <laughs> well, that's that's kind of this this uh, bit that I'm I'm uh, I'm identified here, I think. Um, okay, so now let's move ahead to the nation state. Um, anything you want to say about that? About anything here? The um, no, actually, my my sidebar wiseacre comment was actually the <laughs> was actually the key one. <laughs> it's like if if the church is whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Bingo. Yeah. Okay. Right now. So. Yeah. So. Okay. Uh, interview over. We're done. You got it. <laughs> that's that's where I'm going with this. Um, but I, uh, I I need to to just lay this out a bit more. And and you want to jump in with anything you know extra? You know, go for it. But um, okay. Let's jump to the Enlightenment. So obviously, all the Enlightenment uh, philosophers and 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 those guys obviously saw themselves. It's not just uh. A speculation they saw themselves as Rome, uh, but but rather, I mean, look look at the buildings these people built for their their chambers of commerce and things. And um, I mean, there were things done in our our American Revolution. I'm in New England here, so this is a little bit you know closer to home. Um, I mean, literally in Boston in the 1760s, you had dudes walking around in togas giving the speeches of Cicero. Um, you have things in the early Revolution that are obviously being parallel to stories from the Roman Republic, like Isaac Putnam's, um, you know, hearing of Lexington and Concord and, you know, getting his herd of cattle together and riding them all the way to Boston to give to the, the, the Minutemen who are turning into the Continental Congress, right? That's right out of Roman history with, with uh, Cincinnatus and things like that. Um, so you have that, but you also, more importantly, you have the understanding that the body corporate, the legal corporation, is exactly what the constitutors say it is. And basically, the we can leave it there. I can get into how nation states are formed, um, but that's, that's not really appropriate to our time together. Um, but what is, is that the constitutors make the corporation, and they are the ones who define what it is. And so um, in this country, we're speaking uh, for viewers, uh, we're, we're recording this on top of America. Um, in this country, you know, we have a, a, um, a document, the, the Constitution, you know, we the people, we the people um, of the United States in order to form a perfect union, hereby ordain and establish this Constitution, etc., etc., um, now that P is capitalized, 
And, uh, you know, that just in general English, we know that capitalized nouns mean specific nouns. Um, you know, uh, the horses ran in the race, but that horse won the race. That, that specific horse won the race, so to speak. Um, and so the people, now I'm making a parallel to a modern nation state, uh, these United States, um, the people in the Constitution are the constitutors. In fact, they were very open about this. They were, they were very, very open about this, right? For we're, we, are, we hereby ordain and establish this Constitution for us and for whom, Caleb? I'll give you a civic self. Uh, our posterity. Our posterity. And these yep. guys are all lawyers and things, so that, that has a very specific meaning, right? Uh, a humanist uh, teacher like myself, I might have a you know, kind of a poetic understanding of what posterity might be. It's our cultural heritage. It's, it's you know, chili dogs down in, in uh, Boston and um, Philly cheesesteaks and gumbo. And that's, that's, you know, and it's the great symphony of American history. Well, that's, that's fine, but that's not, you know, quite how attorneys think, you see. Um, and, you know, like they said in Philadelphia, we hereby ordain and establish this constitution for us in this room, those dudes, and for our posterity. Okay, that means my family, my, my constituting family, and my family, and the family that will come after me from my line. And that, that threatens to take us off in a completely different direction, but um, for all of our viewers and for yourself, Caleb, just just for fun, don't take my word for it, just for fun as a little mental exercise. Follow the news, follow whatever stories you want, and have that understanding of the people in mind when you hear these politicians talking about things. Our when, democracy. Our <laughs> democracy, bingo, yes. Um, when Justin Trudeau, uh, six sets six like you would sick a dog six the um the hireling police of canada on the truckers some some weeks back and he stands in the british parliament and he says we are doing this to protect the people of canada he's referring to the constitutors of the state of canada uh, from the time of confederation those families those ones who constituted when uh, nancy pelosi or or uh whatever these these ones uh, when they say something like our democracy we're fighting for our democracy but they're not lying they are fighting for their treehouse their state um uh, this can be quite jarring especially for those of us um who, who've um you know come come weather weather the conservative storms all these years it can be quite jarring to know the United States never existed for the, the actual Tom, Dick, or Harry. It's always served the constitutors, and they told us that from the word go. Anything you'd like to say? And, and let it not be forgotten that by choosing to constitute a new country from whole cloth and asserting the right of creator, they also you know, just kind of sort of sat there, took us on the throne of God. Which is why when you get into things uh, like uh, Noah Webster's dictionary, where the old dictionaries are always more honest, or the Black's Law Dictionary, this is why God is a creator. 
Anyone who, any leader, any judge is a God, is a God. Um, and that's a, a very astute observation there, Caleb. So the, the state is whatever the constitutors say that it is. And if you, uh, if you don't believe that, uh, again, just follow, you know, watch the news, watch how these states behave towards people, lowercase p, people, who are asserting their rights and have the arrogance to think that they own the country. <laughs> silly rabbit, tricks are for kids. Uh, silly, silly citizens, you didn't really believe all that talk about, <laughs> about uh, you know, people's rights and anything. Those are all PR uh, jiving. Oh, silly rabbit, as we set our police on you and occupy Wall Street and, and, and um, Canada or all these protests in the Middle East. Oh, silly, silly people. Uh, you didn't actually believe that. And I returned it. Of course, I had it on the desk earlier today. I'll, I'll try to do it from memory and try to do it justice. In Carol Quigley's book, Tragedy and Hope, um, there is one way. There is one way that people can assert themselves in a legal system who are not part of the constituting people. Um, and that's uh, a physical force. Uh, another people has to assert themselves. Um, and I, I, I don't want to digress uh, too much because we're, we're kind of up on time here and I want to respect your time there, Caleb. But... Uh, Occasionally in the liberal nation state, this has happened. This has happened. Um, the, unfortunately, there's a little bit of fine print from John Locke that nobody reads. It's, everyone's interested in what I'm about to say. There's a, a Catholic author by the name of Christopher Ferrara, and he wrote a book called Liberty the God That Failed, which really plums this um, in much more depth. Um, but there's a bit of a hangnail from John Locke to the effect that um, a people has the right to rebel, which we all talk about, Dot, 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 one time. One time. Um, you have the right to rebel, which is what Locke said. And then all the old uh, uh, Catholics and uh, I guess there were Anglicans by then and uh, all the old altar and throne people, they were saying, wait a minute, John Locke. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. If, if people have the right to rebel, uh, you know, what, what would stop like Black Lives Matter from just taking over the center of town? What would, I mean, if any group of people, what would stop the Republican Party from, you know, uh, taking the, the middle of town anytime they wanted to? Or uh, the Harry Krishnas, any group, any possible group, John Locke, that feels they're violated, they can just assert themselves. And then so John Locke is a deus ex machina to cover his, his rear end. John Locke said, oh, okay, well, you, you have the right to rebel one time. And uh, the quote from Quigley was to the effect that war is, is the ultimate correction when two or more factions of a society uh, are, are um, confused as to who has the power dynamic in the relationship. Right? So when the truckers in Canada have their teeth knocked in, like Occupy 10 years before, um, that is, when one group of people attempts to assert themselves against the people who constituted the, the body politic, um, and unless they're able to assert themselves, um, 
and and triumph over that and in which case you would just begin the liberal theory you just begin the whole process over again by holding territory establishing courts all that stuff that doesn't affect us here but you know choose your protest watch how the state behaves and you will find out very quickly who has the power in those relationships um and and that's the sternness of this system. We must remember the legal system is is originally a pagan concept, um, and so there is a very a very pagan understanding of the justice and the strictness and the mechanism of what's at play. Um, anything you'd like to say, Caleb? <clears throat> the uh, as much as the legal system is a pagan system, um, I was actually just paying attention to a. Uh, to a podcast where, uh, with uh, Father Chad Ripperger, where he's talking about how even society is created by God. Um, and so even a legal system owes its creation to the creator. The um, And so, I mean, they may sit in rebellion, but the fact remains is eventually God will assert his rights. And, it, you know, for everybody who's on God's side, you better be on God's side because the other guys aren't really going to make it so well. And you could tell because even in the nations in uh, the U.S. founding, our we like to say that our founding document is the Constitution, but our founding document was actually the Declaration of Independence. You know, and to pursue uh, to to how oh, gracious I'm brain farting on the one P word to procure those rights. Governments are instituted amongst men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And a couple of clauses ahead of that said that we do have, ultimately, as the governed, ultimately, we have the right to abolish, to reform or abolish said governmental system. So the founders may have said, oh, yeah, we're doing this, and Locke, and, and I'm sure, and Locke was a contemporary with them, but they didn't remember to subscribe to that one tiny clause in their own legal system. So they don't have the same protection. Yes, I mean, you're, you're oh my goodness, this is great because you brought up so many things here without any, any uh, checking of notes or whatever. Um, you're hitting on some very deep ones, including uh, this one here, the idea um, that in a sense, uh, and I tend, I tend to take a, a maybe a sterner view of this. In a sense, legal corporations have contracted out of God, but that's another discussion. I think that's that's there's a lot there. Anyone who's interested in that uh, can also check a book by a, a past guest on this show, or, or any of the work of Clint Richardson, who gets into um, who gets into this. Clint Richardson is, and I don't I don't fanboy, um, but I will say. Uh, I'll make an allowance that Clint's stuff is gold. I, I, especially the legal stuff, you find a lot of people giving their theories and whatever. Clint's stuff is, you can take it to the bank. Um, and he has a, a book, probably 1,500 pages long, called Straw Man Story, which is, I think, supposed to be the first of three, three books. And he breaks this down. But if anyone is interested in this whole idea that legal con corporations have very knowingly contracted out of reality and out of God, um, just read the first hundred pages, which is the introduction. The introduction itself is a hundred pages to the into the book, <laughs> but it's worth it. And he's also, he also has all sorts of podcasts where he gets into this. Maybe that's more digestible for people. 
Um, so we have that, and it, it, by the by, and, and we'll, we'll, I think, bring it to a close with your final comments or any points you want to bring up, Caleb. But um, by the by, this is the tragedy of um, pretty much every liberal nation state eventually will go into a, a state of civil war because the majority of people were kind of duped into believing all the freedom rhetoric and, and self-governing rhetoric. And then there's always a bunch of uh, jerk attorneys that say, no, 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 Locke said it this time and we're running all the police so and the armies. So, um, I mean, you see this, I mean, literally, look at Irish history, German history, French history, um, where people try to, they get, they get, you know, free with some enlightenment government, and then they try to rise up oftentimes in arms, whether that's the Vendée in Brittany in, in the French Revolution, or um, the Irish Free State in, in the 1920s, or Weimar Germany, uh, and then in, oh, actually, um, yeah, Weimar, you always have this, no, no, not Weimar, um, actually, this, what's called the state of Germany now, um, compared to to the the National Socialists, there's a, a interesting discussion there. But the point is, um, the point is, you always have you have this reality. The real tragedy. This is all just marginal, and we're coming to a close here. The real tragedy is the American Civil War, because some of the Confederate states did have the right to secede. Some others of them did not have the right to secede. On what, Caleb, little civics question, on what decided which states had that right and which did not? Hmm. I would actually argue that from their state constitutions, if it was put in, if it was put in place as they established themselves, the uh, because it was conceded that the states were to be individually constituted. I know Texas, Texas always claims to continually have the right to secede because because they put it in the document from the start. The the states that had the right to secede were from those states that preceded the federal government. The constituting states, this because and we're going to look at this as we build to, to the Catholic stuff in our next uh, recording. The creator controls. The corporation is exactly what the creators say it is. So if you're Virginia or you're uh, North or South Carolina, actually, I don't know about North Carolina because I think that came after the Constitution. But if you preceded the Constitution like South Carolina or Georgia, um, you absolutely had the right to secede. Unfortunately, if you're Florida, if you're Louisiana, if you're Texas, and, and I always get into rows with the, the, the I, I always bring this up, and it doesn't matter how many times I show them the Constitution of the state of Texas as it is now, uh, in the third line down where it says, but we're not going to talk about <laughs> that right now. Um, but the point is, how did those subsequent states enter the union, including Texas? They came by petitioning the Congress. So the the thirteen states formed the the federal government. They constituted the federal government. They are the daddies of the federal government. However, all the subsequent states petitioned to become states, so the creator controls. So the constituting states are higher than the federal government, and the federal government is higher than the, the subsequent 37 states. Hmm. That makes and there's, sense. A weird, there's, there's a weird um, jerk move that, that Lincoln did where basically all the federal property the Confederates like tried to buy it like 
like three times more than it was worth, all the forts and post offices, and Lincoln refused it. And on that ground, he prosecuted the war, that the Confederacy was stealing property of the federal government. Um, but anyway, that's that, that's neither here nor there, except that, um, and this is actually, I, I think, is a good dovetail, um, the, the tragedy that we see with, with uh, the state of the church and people admirably trying to... Uh, um, uh, address the crises, whether that's forming, you know, these religious societies, St. Pius X and St. Peter and John Cantius and all these great groups, um, or whether it's, you know, um, a whole slew of, of, of solutions to things, maybe doing Catholic media like yourself and, and, and whatnot. But you see, the, the tragedy is um, after Vatican I, Catholicism um, no longer is any of that. Um,